Well, good morning. We're in a second week, in our second week, in a series called Dreamers in the Hands of a Loving God. It's about Joseph and his dad and the rest of us. We're watching how God wove his, his goodness into the story of Joseph over the course of his life, from the time he was a self-absorbed and entitled teenager, to the time when he was humble and mature and a man of God um, who was saving tens of thousands of lives. How did God meet him in his story and weave his goodness into Joseph's life? We're expectant here that the same God that was leading Joseph and who wrote Joseph's story is the same God leading us, the same God writing our story, whatever stage of life we're in. And my hope is that as we enter Joseph's story, our confidence in God will grow and our self-absorption will get swallowed up in worship of God. Nowhere do we need our confidence in God to grow uh, more than when we feel the sting of injustice. Injustice is when the actions of people don't match up rightly with the consequences that they experience. Injustice is when you do good and you get punished for it. You get punished for the very act of doing good. Injustice is when you do evil and get rewarded for it. Injustice is when you're stigmatized unfairly and shut out from dignity and relationship and care. And this reality touches almost every part of our world. And you and I, if we experience it, we experience usually just a fraction of it. It's laced throughout our world, but you and I experience just a little tiny bit of it. But it's that tiny bit, it's that fraction, it's that sting that gets our attention and shakes our confidence in God. When we experience injustice, all of a sudden we ask the question that m- many have asked, does God love me? Is he, does he exist? Is he good? Is he powerful? It's only when just injustice crosses our path or slaps us in the face that we begin to pay attention when it stings us. I was reading about how this happened to a mother who herself was a pediatric nurse. Her name was uh, Georgiana, and she tells her story in Tim Keller's book, Walking with God in Pain and Suffering. Georgiana's youngest daughter, she had three daughters, and her youngest daughter was 12 months old. She had an accident sitting in her chair at home, fell backwards, hit her head on the ground, and had a skull fracture. Now, thankfully, the skull fracture didn't lead to any kind of traumatic brain injury or any, it was just a fracture. Georgiana was okay. The injury would heal. But in the process of looking after Georgiana, uh, uh, Georgiana's daughter, Georgiana herself was recommended to get x-rays of her daughter's head. And in the process of getting x-rays of her daughter's head, the, the uh, medical staff took, took that as a record. And another doctor who had not been part of the situation saw the x-ray and reported Georgiana for severe child abuse. Child Protective Services came, an investigation was begun, and Georgiana's daughters were removed from her and her husband's custody until the case was settled. Now, perhaps like Georgiana, you too have experienced a life-shattering injustice. Perhaps you've been charged with crimes or misdeeds that were committed by somebody else or not committed at all. Many in our country have been incarcerated for years for this very reason. In our, in our own city, we've had this problem. Or maybe you've been denied housing or services or employment based on your race. Or perhaps you've been subject to physical, emotional, or sexual abuse and then blamed for it. 
Now, most of us feel the sting of injustice on levels that are hurtful, frustrating, or annoying. Usually not on the life-shattering level, but nevertheless, we experience some degree of it. The driver who put your safety in danger when they cut you off and they were not held accountable for it. The colleague who consistently gets credit for work that you do. The friend who asks for way too many favors but never seems to grant you any. The company that tried to overcharge you, they tried to sneak it past you. We might feel injustice simply by the fact that other people seem to get all the lucky breaks. Other people seem to get all the benefits, all the fun. And we can feel like victims of injustice just by comparing our lives with them. Why Why they get all the breaks? It seems like they have this golden, gilded life, and I have to work for everything I get. Whether injustice shatters our life on the one hand or simply insults our pride on the other hand, it feels like a rude interruption to the fantastic plans and the fantastic dreams that we have for our life. We have fantastic dreams for our life. And in our imagination, it's not going to be unjust. And when it is unjust, in real life, we react. In our anger, we say, it's all your fault. You ruined my life, my plans, my dreams. In our shame, we might say, it's all my fault. I didn't do it right. I didn't use the right techniques, read the right books. I could have avoided this with the right plans, but I failed to protect myself. It's all my fault. In our sadness, we might say, all hope is lost. My life will never be full again. My dreams will never come true. In our fear, we might say, it's only going to get worse. This is going to become more and more of a nightmare. One minute we're dreaming, big dreams. Injustice rouses us awake And the next minute, we're screaming screams in the darkness. Maybe we scream out loud, or maybe we scream silently. But the anger, shame, sadness, fear, and who knows what else, eventually merges together and becomes a scream. A silent scream, or a loud scream, or a scream of tears. But injustice has a way of turning our dream into a scream. Before her daughter's accident, it was easy for Georgiana to pray thy will be done and praise God and trust God. Here's what she said about her first night away from her daughters, though. She says this, quote, I was raging. I was raging. I was crying out to God. I was screaming in agony. When we scream in response to injustice, is that an indictment of God? Or is that an indication that God is at work? When we scream in the darkness, is it a sign that God's good plans have been interrupted? Or indeed, is that injustice integral to God's good plans for our life? Is injustice contradictory of God's love for us? Or is it deeply compatible with God's loving plans for us? That's the question behind the screen, isn't it? That's also the question behind the gospel, behind the cross. When we scream out because of injustice, is that an indictment of God or is that an indication he's at work? Is it contradictory to God's loving plans for us or is it deeply 
complementary to God's loving plans for us. It's the question, not just of human history, but as we get older and experience reality, it's the question with which we will all need to wrestle. So let's ask it now. We will answer this question with a story by diving deep into the story of Joseph, by watching what happened to Joseph at the hands of his brothers and imagining what it must have felt like to scream his scream in the darkness of his pit. I invite you to turn to Genesis 37. You can do so in your bulletins or in your Bibles. We're starting in verse 12. Now, last week we looked at a highly successful, prosperous family that was also on the inside, when you, when you look below the layers, very toxic and very dysfunctional. And so if you need hope that God can work through your dysfunctions and toxins and failures, I invite you to listen to that sermon. The link is right there uh, in your sermon notes, uh, in your bulletin. Joseph's family, we saw it was like a cauldron, just like ready to explode, just like stewing with toxins. You had Joseph's braggadocio and narcissism talking about his wonderful dreams. He's totally lacking in self-awareness, totally full of himself. Then you have his brothers just hating him and hating him to, to, the, to the nth degree. And then you have the father's sort of self-serving power just popped right on top of that cauldron. And it's just getting ready to explode. And in this passage, we have the explosion. Joseph's dream of his brothers bowing down and worshiping his, mother and father bowing down and worshiping him, it's about to become a nightmare. First thing we're going to notice about this story is that nothing is meaningless. <clears throat> nothing is meaningless. And for those of you who are suffering right now because of injustice, you need to know that nothing about your circumstances is meaningless to God. Nothing is random to God. Let me read verses 12 through 17. Now his brothers, Joseph's brothers, went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, otherwise known as Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And remember from last week, Joseph is a proxy for his dad. Joseph is not only his dad's favorite, he's his dad's special helper. Okay? And so he's going to go do some special helping by supervising his brothers and telling on them. Um, Come, I will send you to them. And Joseph said to him, Here I am. Uh, so Israel said to him, Go, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now this is a 50-mile journey. Okay? So Joseph has traveled 50 miles to see his brothers. That's a long distance in the ancient world. It's a long distance. Um, and a man found him. Some random dude found him wandering in the fields. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. And he said, tell me, please, wh where they are pasturing the flock. Now, what are the chances that there's some random dude wandering where his brothers should have been, and that random dude finds him and asks him what he needs? But it happened. And then the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Just so he was... This is the random guy. He's not even named. He's wandering around. He happens to hear, oh, so let's go to Dothan. He just overhears this, and for some reason it just sticks with him. And then days later he finds Joseph, and he's like, oh, yeah, I heard they went to Dothan. Now, what are the chances that that would all come together and happen? But I want you to think about this. If none of it happened, everybody would have died. Joseph wouldn't have been sold to the, uh, to the Midianites. He wouldn't have gone to Egypt. He wouldn't have 
participated in leadership in Egypt and been promoted and participate in the hunger relief program, which is save his family, everyone would have died if this random guy would have happened. Oh yeah, Dothan. Nothing is random in Joseph's life. It led to profound suffering, but it wasn't random. It wasn't meaningless. It wasn't out of God's loving hands. There's no way that Joseph could have looked at his life and gone, you know what, I'm going to use the right techniques so that I save the world, change the world, get to Egypt, second in command. I'm going to read the right self-help books, do the exercises in the back. I, I'm just, it's good. This is, I have the plan. There's no way he could have known about random Dothan man. There's no way he could have engineered this whole thing. But God could have. God could have taken the injustice, not that God causes it, but that God responds to it and uses it against itself. The secular story goes like this. Okay? If you're suffering, here's what secular, the secular story has to say to you. Your life is a very happy accident. Yeah, uh, human happiness. Sure, it's happy. But it's, it's an accident. The universe does not care about you. It's a cold, unfeeling place. Whether you're happy or sad, um, a, a happy existence or an unjust one. So it's entirely up to you to find the right techniques to avoid suffering and minimize risk. It's up to you. And um, if you experience injustice, you're unlucky, that's all. You caught a bad break or you did it wrong, and so you'll have a hard life. You can make meaning out of it for sure, but it's your hard life. This person over here, and I'll see they were smart. They caught a lucky break, and so they'll have a meaningful life, and you won't. Um, the Christian story is different, and you need to know this if you're suffering, and you need to know this before you're suffering, because it will become more of a choice when you experience injustice. Here's the Christian story. Your life is an intention. It is a loving intention of a loving and powerful God. And nothing about your life is an accident. And nothing about your life is overlooked by God. Even the mundane circumstances that have no meaning to you are enchanted with God's presence and power and love. And nothing in your life is random to God. He doesn't cause the injustice and pain that you experience, but he can bring life through them. He can perform miracles out of your mistakes. He can bring unspeakable glory out of the injustices and evil directed at you. God can bring unspeakable glory out of the unspeakable injustices that is directed at you. That's the Christian story. And when you absorb the Christian story and all that it means, it takes tremendous pressure off of us to engineer a perfect life with no suffering. And some of you are bearing up under that pressure. When you're living in the Christian story, that pressure of engineering a perfect life is lifted off of your soul, uh, shoulders. Because when we accept God's loving care over our circumstances, we get free from the need to control everything. And we need that freedom. Things might seem to get worse for a while, and they would definitely get worse for Joseph. Read with me in verses 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. The brothers attempt to take the injustice that they have experienced, and they have experienced injustice. Jacob loved Joseph more than them. 
And that created an incredible deficit, both economic and emotional, in their life. So they're going to try to fix it by making Joseph experience pain. Um, I was reading a really interesting book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. And one of the insights that he found is that violence is an expression of internalized shame. And that so many convicted offenders, when you get under the surface, have an incredible sense of unworthiness. And the only way they found out, and it was obviously a wrong choice, was through violence. Perhaps this same dynamic is at work with the unloved and deeply shamed brothers of Jacob. Now, Reuben attempts to save his life. He's trying to be the oldest son. He's trying to get in good with his dad. It doesn't work. Verse 23, Joseph's dream becomes a scream in the darkness. Joseph comes to his brothers, but his brothers received him not. And then they stripped him of his robe. And the verb here is very specific. It's the same word used when an animal is being flayed, skinned alive, ripped. They skin him of his robe like an animal being skinned alive. Maybe they punch him. Maybe they kick him. They hated him with utter hatred. Who's to say what they did? They were not being kind. In verse 24, they took him and threw him into a pit. And again, the verb here for throw is very specific. It's the same Hebrew verb for casting aside a dead body, a dead corpse. And they, they throw him into a pit. The pit's shaped like a bottle. The bottom of the pit, it's the widest. And then there's this narrow opening, and they stuff him in there. It was used to draw water. But you know what? There's no water left. He might as well have been a corpse. Why do you think the author left that detail into the story? Ah, his brother's just going to leave him there. And, and we find out later uh, in, in chapter 42 that Joseph was begging them to stop. He was, he was begging for his life. Please stop. Please save me. And they were stuffing him in there. And they intended to let him die of thirst, most likely. This was that they were killing him, killing him slowly. Darkness and death are his only companions. And then verse 25, they sat down to eat. What cruelty. Your brother is begging you for his life. You stripped him naked. You put him in a pit where he's not going to have anything to drink. And you're like, oh, let's have a snack. Joseph's dream became a scream. He's screaming in the darkness. And where is God? Where's God in this moment? He's everywhere. By not answering Joseph's cry to get delivered from the pit, God is delivering Joseph from his own pride. That's one of the things God is doing. God is stripping him of the coat of many colors. He's stripping him of his pride. He's stripping him of his narcissism. This trauma will eventually be a cleansing and maturing experience for his character, and he will need every bit of that character and maturity when he's called to be second in command of one of the most powerful nations ever in civilization. He's going to need the cleansing of this experience. Secondly, God is allowing his brothers to throw Joseph into the pit, but not to kill him. He set things in motion to save the brothers from their own hatred too. The brothers have a spiritual condition that they need saving from, and God is saving his brothers from their own hatred 
by letting his brothers stuff Joseph into a pit but not kill him. Thirdly, by keeping Joseph alive and preparing him to be sold into slavery to merchants traveling to Egypt, he's saving tens of thousands of people from starvation. But there's no way anyone in the story would know that. They're characters in the story, not the authors of the story. And finally, by saving one of Jake, uh, Joseph's brothers, Judah, um, Judah is kept alive, and one of Judah's descendants will be Jesus Christ, who will eventually go on to redeem multitudes of people from life and eternity apart from God, and eventually renew all of creation itself. Joseph screams in the darkness. God doesn't save him from the injustice, but he turns the injustice and pain and death in this situation against itself, and from that brings life and healing and ultimately a very happy ending. And he can do the same thing with your mistakes. He can do the same thing with your pain. He can do the same thing with every act of injustice against you, whether it be petty or life-shattering. That is the loving God who offers to lead your life and make good of the injustice that you have experienced. Georgiana, the woman I mentioned before, described how this works for her. It started with God's comfort. The same moment that she screamed in agony is when the Holy Spirit encountered her in a way she had never experienced before. She said, something powerful happened when I screamed in the darkness. A calmness and warmth spread through me. I was suddenly aware that God was right there, holding me, raging with me at the injustice, weeping with us, his children. In that moment, I had never felt more protected in all my life. Now, for nine months, she would go through legal proceedings. She would be separated from her daughters, except for a few different monitored uh, supervision where she was able to visit her daughters. But imagine, nine months. But she went through those nine months. Um, even though she was tempted to revenge, even though she was tempted to despair, and even though, of course, emotionally, she's all over the place, she testifies now that she found herself able to, through God, offer hope and encouragement to other people through this event, in this event, and eventually, she and her husband were exonerated. The leadership of the hospital and even the reporting doctor who falsely accused her sought her forgiveness, listened to her, made changes, and acknowledged their wrongdoing. She says this, the most powerful facilitation to our recovery has been forgiveness, which would have been impossible without God's intervention. She describes the transformation that took place in her own soul, life, and family on the other end of this incredible injustice. This is how God's salvation works. Once you take a close look at the life of Joseph and, and how God brought life and happiness and resurrection through his pit, it shines a whole new light on the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to save his brothers, but his brothers did not receive him. And he, Jesus Christ was stripped of his robe and his dignity. And he was separated in the deepest way possible from his father. His father's love, his father's presence, his father's protection. And he screamed in the darkness like Joseph. He screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? I cry out to you by day, but I find no answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And his pit... Isaiah 53 describes that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Men hid their faces from him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb 
taken to be slaughtered like a sheep being sheared. He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of many people. But you know the big difference between Joseph and Jesus? Was that Jesus' suffering was voluntary, and Joseph's was not. Joseph would be used by God to bring life and healing and redemption to the world. But he did so involuntarily. That was God's plan. Jesus, it was completely voluntary. He took off his own robe. Philippians 2 described the fact that he did not consider equality with God something that he would hold on to, but laid it aside, emptying himself of all but love, becoming nothing, entering our human experience and dying a death that we should have died. Jesus' death on the cross ultimately was the greatest act of injustice in history. And it was simultaneously God's greatest act of love in history. Simultaneously. It was not an interruption to God's plan for us and for our great future. It was integral. It was not contradictory to God's good plans. For us, it was deeply compatible with God's plans to exalt his son and restore us in the process. Maybe all you experience of life is the petty injustices. And I guarantee you've got some of that in your life. Um, the way people drive, the way people cut in line, you get mad when people cut in line? I bet you do. <laughs> Neighbors filling, filling up your trash can with their trash? Ever happened to you? Um, people turning up the temperature and you're turning it down? <laughs> Little petty moments of injustices? We are like, you have no right. Friends, even when you're young, you experience those kind of injustices. Okay? So here could be the call of God for you in a very practical way. Perhaps those injustices are an opportunity to reflect on God's goodness to you in Jesus and to turn those moments into an opportunity for prayer, to receive God's goodness, to receive God's love, to act, ask him to act and work even in those small, little, petty moments where someone is being selfish and you are paying the, paying the price. We need to engage in these disciplines because it is those moments and those disciplines that will prepare us to meet God in the major injustices, the hurtful ones, and sometimes the life-shattering ones that we are likely to face in this life. Now, this is all going to work out in a really interesting way for Joseph, and we're going to see how it does, it begins to next week, but there's something strange that I want to point out briefly here, and we'll unpack it later. What remains in our text in verse 25 through 36, I'll just summarize it. Joseph is sold to the Midianite traders. The brothers pocket the earnings. Then they use Joseph's robe to deceive dad. And everyone tries to help him get over it so the family can move on without the favorite. But Joseph refuses. This is a very strange turn of events, but it is not an original one. Where did it come from? Friends, you and I are tempted to think that we're making history. But most of the time, we're only recycling it. One of the most humbling realizations is to realize that our patterns, not only are they not spectacular, 
They're also dysfunctional, and they didn't even originate with us. This belief, in order to survive and get dad's blessing, I have to trick dad and defraud my, his favorite son, my brother, in the process. Where did that come from? Why do you do what you do? In order to find out, we need to rewind the tape and take a closer look at the painful moment in the life of Joseph's dad when he was about Joseph's age. So I want to invite you to come back next week as we explore the sins of the fathers. Let me pray for you. Pray for us. Lord, whether our experience of injustice is petty or whether it's life-shattering or somewhere in between, would you let us see your love for us in the voluntary and loving death of Jesus Christ on our behalf? Would you let all good purposes for our life be carried out in ways that surpass even our capacity to imagine it? We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.